Anxiety and how about that track? Yeah, Usher, Ludacris, and I first remember seeing that in the movie The Hangover, and what an appropriate movie for this time of the year. Hangovers seem to be quite a common thing at Christmas time, and it's been a couple of days since we've done an epicast. However, I have had plenty of feedback but not much of it about range anxiety. I've had positive and negative being sent to me about another YouTuber, and I, I don't know, he probably podcasts as well, a guy called John Cadogan, who's uh, set out this big mission to destroy the Tesla fanboys, and he's going to show them why Tesla are bankrupt by the end of 2021 or something like that. I had a quick watch, and I actually found it uh, quite entertaining. So you go, John, I'm not going to sit there and bag you. I mean, we're both products of the same sort of washed-up motoring writer journalist scene, aren't we? And great to see that you're helping people buy second-hand or new cars and, and save them a packet of money. The world needs more people like you. Just a, a word of advice, ditch the funny voices. It makes you sound like, well, how does someone describe you? A twat. But however, I, I would never be John's favourite person because I've got his... I. I'm in ownership of his three most hated motor vehicles, one being Tesla, two being Mercedes-AMG, and three being Jeep. So John and I will never see eye to eye, and some of his technical facts are a little bit howdy-doody on the bit I watched on Tesla, because, you know, obviously know a fair bit about the company and spent a lot of time doing research. Um, drop the thing referring to him as Jesus or Jesus, because, you know, making fun of religion probably isn't a good thing to when we're supposed to be, well, A, it's Christmas time, and B, we're supposed to be talking about cars. But other than that, guys and girls sending me feedback, I've got nothing against a guy. I actually find him quite entertaining. Good on you, J, oh, John Cadigan, JC. <laughs> quite appropriate, really, isn't it? You could be the next electric Jesus yourself if you weren't so anti-electric car. Now, let's get on. I'm finished with that. That's my thoughts on it. Don't bother sending me any more uh, emails or feedback about JC, let him do what he does. Everyone deserves to make a quid. Even some of the car manufacturers he slams, but that's all good. All fine. Um, big disappointment over Christmas was I got my Christmas software update and the car says I'm unwrapping it. And because we don't have pedestrian warning speakers in Australia, I can't use the boombox feature in my Tesla, which is quite shit in more ways than one because one of the things it allows you to do is when a pedestrian is walking past it can make the famous tesla fart noises out them out the front of the car and of course everyone needs a car that farts i think a little bit scarier actually than the farting car was the fact you can drive down the road playing the ice cream truck music yeah mm. don't know how appropriate that is having bunches of kids running towards your car the whole time but anyway there's some cool shit in it too. This great visualisation updates. The autopilot has got better. I recently drove from Adelaide to Victor Harbour, you know, a quick ooh, 50 mile sort of cruise that I, I had to go down and see my mother. And, you know, I, I'd basically autopiloted the thing the whole way and it was absolutely amazing. 
So yeah, those sort of subtle improvements rather than farting cars are, are the kind of things that I look for. Now let's talk about something that was of a real lot of interest to a lot of people at one stage, and that was when Martin became the oil expert. Now, there is a qualification if you are a genuine oil expert and you're university qualified. I believe the study itself is called tribology. That's right, it doesn't mean you're a member of a tribe, it means you know a bit about oil and its formulation. So, no, I am not a tribologist. I'm a washed up two year Mechen student um, that happens to like tinkering with cars not a tribologist, but I was responsible for helping develop an aftermarket oil for the R35 GDR transmission DCT when it first came out. And we sold a lot of that all around the world, like hundreds and thousands of litres of it. And yeah, no, it was a good money spinner and it worked pretty well too. There was no problems there, but you know, I had help developing that. And I also copped a lot of stick, a lot of stick on forums over it. Um, a nag truck, I think it was called North American GDR Owners Club. Um, I had a lot of fans there and I had a lot of detractors there. Funnily enough, most of the detractors actually came from my hometown of Adelaide that signed up there just to punish me. Um, but yeah, so how, how do you do it? How do you design and develop an oil for a, a system that hasn't seen, you know, been seen before? And the, the R35 DCT was something that hadn't been seen. Nissan would not sell us any oil in Australia at the time. It was it was dearer than gold, I reckon, anyway. But that wouldn't sell us oil because the car was a um, an import and not Nissan de uh, dealer delivered. And anyway, Nissan, but you know, when we were first mucking around with oil on this thing, Nissan didn't even have an R35 GTR in Australia. So mother being the necessity of invention, we had to look at it ourselves. A guy I knew through the LS1 scene did have an oil manufacturing business, like a boutique one, but he did a lot of stuff for industry. I rang him up and I said, look, I've got a problem with this car. I reckon the transmission needs an oil change and they're having all of these problems with these transmissions. Well, yeah, GDR owners know all about that, right? Um, what do I do? We need to come up with a solution. Do you have anything for a twin clutch, a, a wet plate, a wet clutch, twin clutch DCT transmission? And he went, absolutely not. So I said, where do we start? So the first thing we did is we took a sample of what was in the car. Quite easy to do. Drain some, a small sample out of the um, uh, drain plug on the transmission. And we performed two tests on it. The first test was a filtergram analysis, which is like, best way of, of uh, describing that is it's like putting it under a really epic microscope, zooming right in and actually seeing the fragments of metal, how much metal in the controlled sample and the shape of the metal which determines how it's being made by the transmission. Sure enough, high performance car, uh, overpowered gear set, was making a lot of metal. There were a lot of big shavings in it. One of the things you've got to look out for though is how much of it is from manufacturer on the first fill and how much of it is actually being generated by the gearbox. There is however a saying, metal makes metal. GDR's good at that too. Um, the second test we did uh, was a PPM count of all of the different elements that made up the um, formulation of the oil. You can get that done by Blackstone or there are companies all around the world, Caterpillar, the, the, the um, diesel giants here do it in my local area. And yeah, you can see, you know, how much silicon content, how much aluminium's in it. And most critically, you can get um, the centre stoke 
rating of the oil, which is, in layman's terms, a way of telling how thick the oil is. Well, what we came back with when we did this PPM test on our first sample of GDR transmission fluid was that it was cat's piss thin. It was extremely thin. It was very much an ATF, an auto transmission fluid, given the job of generating friction in the clutches, which a very thin fluid is good at, but then also lubricating a highly stressed gear set, which they aren't so good at, uh, thin oils, ATF oils. And upon even closer analysis, I had a look back at what we used to run in, in some high-performance autos and some high-performance manuals of the time for, for the lower, well, the highest friction generation for, for um, clutch drive, it was a Castrol product called Transmax Z. Synthetic fluid, it's still around today and it's very bloody good um, in my experience. And yeah, it was very, very, very similar to the GTR oil. In fact, spookily similar. So I thought, hmm, okay, we are using a high performance auto trans fluid in this thing. Let's add a bit of traditional 7590 gear oil to this. Let's come up with a formulation that has some of the high friction additives, but with a 7590 um, kind of thick film lubrication system and see if we can make these transmissions just behave a little nicer. I mean, they weren't wearing out that fast at the time because there wasn't many of them around. They were making some metal, but my goodness, they could whine and groan and, and carry on and yeah, they still do to this day. Um, there were some in, interesting engineering or design problems, I believe, in that, in that gearbox where the output drive didn't get lubricated correctly and we put extra squirters in there and, and do things like that to, to, to make the things last longer. But it seemed to work. We went, I went as high as 75, uh, 140, which is like a, a solid boundary differential on them to have a bit of a look at what that would do. And yeah, that was no good for the clutches. That would make them slip and glaze them and stuff. But if you got the right amount of 7590 and you put mixed it with the right amount of ATF, you could get something that stunk like a gear oil, worked to protect the gears, but lubricated the clutches. And this is what we did. And this is where the product that I'm talking about that's known as WR35TM, this is where it came from and how it was made. The company in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia that made it was a company by the name of main lube and you know they did a very good job of making it putting it in the tins for us and you know we would put our sticker on it and we'd sell it and, and export it and it was that simple it was that simple obviously we had to sac potentially sacrifice the transmission in a brand new car to do it so that wasn't everybody's you know cup of tea to risk their new car we we considered we were pioneers and didn't really have a choice so we pulled the trigger and and went down that route but oh so many people you know so many people bought it and loved it and and it did make the gear set a little quieter and it did make the cars a little smoother and you know any slight clutch degradation you saw um you could always adjust the pressures in the clutches up and and it would just work quite beautifully in fact the last gdr that um, Lisa, my wife, was driving around for a couple of years, had that fluid in it, and it was a beautiful road car. It had had it in it from brand new and done over 100,000 miles without um, turning the gear set into a smouldering pile of metal in the transmission pan. Very unusual for a GDR that's gone that distance. So we worked hard on this, and then 
people started to come out with aftermarket clutches and a lot of them very grabby and frictions weren't so good. So we added a product to it called Solid Boundary, which is like, um, uh, think of it, this is how it's explained to me anyway, think of it like tons of tiny little polymer um, ping pong balls in the oil. That small, you couldn't see them, but there was enough of them that it gave it a pinkish rather than a reddish color. So we went and put solid boundary in these things and clutches before the friction design was as good as it is and the friction technology is as good as it is now when they were grabby and bunny hoppy and lurchy and, and not so pleasant to drive the solid boundary could actually smooth them out to a point where they were um uh, much well yeah much more pleasant we call that i think the victory spec tmvs you know after the v spec gdr at the time and then we went even further i think uh, going to a super duper amount of solid boundary because we found it didn't actually make the clutches slip or fill up the, the grooves channels in them. It worked pretty well. We went to, we came up with this thing called built transmission drivability fix. So it was WR35 TM BTDF. And a lot of them, they got used in places like Jamaica where there were some hard built GDRs and Russia and all sorts of places. And it worked really, really well. Um, and in the meantime, we were just buying this stuff in, you know, giving back, getting tests done, coming back with test results, changing the formulation slightly as and when it needed to be changed. And we were, you know, it was doing well. Then one of our big competitors um, came out with a, an opposing product. It wasn't in a gold tin. It was like ours was. It was in a um, plastic sort of uh, oil bottle, like a, you know, three gallon or two gallon sort of container enough to do a transmission in a GDR. They, they do take a fair bit of fluid. And this was better and better in every way. And these guys just had a better name than us. They, they did a better job with the whole GDR platform than us. It was quite simple. You know, we had some, uh, let's just say, constraints that we worked with. But, you know, funny thing was their oil sort of ended up eclipsing ours. And we just slowly dwindled away from it till we ended up just not selling any more of it. You know, it was, it was good while it lasted. And it lasted five or six years. But then it dwindled away. Funny thing was, though when I, I just, my interest sort of, you know, pricked up, my ears pricked up, and I thought, oh, I want to have a better look at this all. I want to see what's actually going on with it. And so I tested the competitor's oil, and, yep, yeah, it came from exactly the same plant. Ours did slightly different spec, but it was from exactly the same place. Well, allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to go too much further down that route. But this is, you know, where marketing can either make, break, or kill a, a product. There was nothing wrong with what we did, and we weren't oil experts at all, but we used a, a well-tried and known testing facility and procedure to validate the product. And that's how good it is now. And it, it, this is one reason I'm invested slightly in the same area with Teslas, because they tell you it's a fill for life transmission fluid and there are one thing i do know i'm not a tribologist and i'm certainly not a great transmission engineer there's one thing i do know and that there is no such thing as fill for life when it comes to any lubricant particularly when used in settings outside of the uh, original manufacturer's specification in this case, the original specification being driving around on the road, you start scratching the things on the track and things do happen. So as uh, the GDR scene started to evolve, I'm not sure what our competitors did, but in-house we were, 
you know, trying to run eights and sevens and everyone would run tens and nines. The whole uh, GDR trends, mission fluid thing, turned around and came full circle because the road-based fluids would start to slip the clutches at 12, 13, 1400 horsepower and require more, you know, it got to the point where GDRs were so powerful that you stuffed as much clutch into them as you could and then you tried to make them generate as much friction in the transmission as you could because they all ran out of clutch, you know, somewhere along the racetrack and it didn't matter about where anymore. In fact, you know, in, in the hunt for sixes, and you know, God only knows what those guys are doing with, with lubrication technology. I, I certainly don't. I don't discuss that with any of my GDR friends that are running sixes. But uh, they're out. And, and the transmissions, the gear sets are lucky to last five passes, ten passes anyway. You know, the equivalent of... If you've got a, a race drag GDR that that's knocking on the door of sixes or running sixes and you can get 50 miles out of a gear set, you're an absolute champion. So let's not worry about wearing it out. Let's just worry about spraying it all over the you know transmission pan as they do. So everything turns around or turned around to just making as much friction as possible. And the way we started to do this was we started to dilute um, a WR35TM with Transmac Z. They were perfectly missable. I got put onto this. I'd done a, a full, a, like a small turbo upgrade on a car that was Western Australian car, and it was driven by miner. It was driven very, very, very hard uh, out in the middle of nowhere, and at 700 horsepower at the wheels, it would start to slip the clutches and miss shifts and go into trans fault modes and flash your trans light. And this guy was none too happy. And I didn't want to ship the car back to Adelaide to fix it. You know, it's like the, the distance of across the whole United States. So I took a punt and I, and I diluted um, our WR35TM, which was 7590 based at a 50-50 mix for an initial try with Transmac Z. Uh, he put it in the car and boom, problem solved, problem fixed. So I knew then that we were onto something by changing or mixing fluid to generate higher frictional qualities in it. It ended up to the point, um, with my experience with far, like super fast GDRs now that are, the, that are used as you know one trick ponies and not not circuit raced, but they're just you know smashed in a straight line over a certain period of time. Uh, I will use up to 100% Transmac Z in them, uh, which is extremely cheap. It's about a third or a quarter of the price of, of Nissan transmission fluid. Looks to be uh, pretty close in some ways. And these things, yeah, we don't have clutch slip issues anymore. I mean, obviously now there are good enough clutches around and you know, and the technology of, of clutches for GDRs has gone that far that you might not have to go to these levels anymore, but bear it in mind, if you've got a DCT, or particularly a, GC, a GDR R35 DCT, and you're having clutch slip problems and you want a Band-Aid fix, uh, get some Transmac Z in that thing and it'll drive you down the road a, a bit more abruptly and it'll be a little bit more brutal on the shifts, but it does indeed work. And what about the engines? Yeah, we had engine oil for them too. But, and it was, again, it was, it was no rocket science. 
you know, these things, I think they used a 0W30 or 40, like a Mobile One or whatever. And we were constantly taking these things out the racetrack and using them on the circuit, and they were shutting down through overall temperature, and ah, new oil pressure was dropping very low. So we just went to a, you know, pride, uh, tried and proven 10W60, high zinc content, and yeah, it worked really quite brilliantly. Um, we never lost a, an engine with bearing failure uh, on, the, on the 1060. Um, people will tell you, oh, it's way too thick for a GDR. And, but again, you know, your, 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 your um, viscosity index changes quite markedly with temperature and also obviously clearance. So in my humble, non-educated, but only experience-based opinion, there is nothing indeed at all wrong with running a 10W60 in these things. And yeah, it, it, it worked really well. Um, differentials, we had, we had a product for as well. Again, they, um, the, the front differential in particular in the GDR has, has a massive problems. Uh, it's extremely compromised, not just due to case design and gear design, but it holds 450 mil, like a, a coffee cup full of oil in it and needs to be changed regularly and looked after. And uh, I think they've got like an 8090 in them. We went to a 75140 with solid boundary in it. And yeah, you could get away with longer change intervals. They made less, they made less metal. They made, you know, less actual disasters inside the front differential. And that worked really well as well. So getting back to it, I personally copped a lot of stick over this whole oil thing. Again, we had a lot of happy customers and a lot of people love this stuff and still ring me about it and, and email me to this day saying, Martin, where can we buy this? We want some. Well, we copped a lot of stick, but, and to be totally transparent with you all about it now, this is exactly how it worked and exactly how it went. There was no magic. There was no witchcraft, just like there isn't to anything with motor cars. You know, not even Teslas. There's no magic. There's no witchcraft. You just follow a procedure that you know works and works well. And it worked well for us. And yep, no GDRs were lost in the making of, or harmed in the making of this oil. And to cop the rap it did at the time from the neggers, you know, the people that neg everything you do was just shithouse. But you know, that's the law of the internet, isn't it? And that's what people do to each other. And because people are mainly shit, we know this. Apart from us car people, we're great people. So what's the next, and now, now that we've done the oils, what's the next Epicast going to be about? I've got a lot of uh, a lot of ideas, as per usual, and sometimes I think, oh, I've got nothing left to talk about, and then boom, it comes to me. But I'm getting that much excitement about this new Yaris uh, GS, GS, GR, I don't even know what it's called, that new three-cylinder four-wheel drive turbo thing, and you know, I've watched dinos of it already, where People are artificially trying to inflate figures and trying to say, this is, you know, we measured the crankshaft power on our dyno and all sorts of rubbish like this. And, you know, all the while there's multiple different Chinese air filters that may or may not work being developed and designed for them. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a yawnathon really. But I've got mates that earn good money that are saying, I just want to, want to get on board to be part of this awesome development of some 1600cc three-cylinder that's in this country, uh, just under, I think, 40 grand. Let me tell you this, 
from having spent so many years working with GDRs, there's no such thing as a cheap, fast car, right? Cheap and fast don't really go together. They've never mixed and they never will. But rather than sit here and can the Yaris, even though I'm not a great Toyota fan, I think they kind of lost it when the, when, the, when they lost the 1J, in my opinion. But I'm not going to can it. I'm not going to be a JC about this and just can it because I don't like it or I can't make any money out of it. Let's talk through it and have a look at what the potential issues might be from the limited amount we know about it. I reckon at this stage that Epicast should be, because I've got to actually do some research for once rather than just talk shit off the top of my head. I know, right? Um, at this stage, that Epicast should be ready to be online about January 2. Sorry if I've been a little bit slow over the uh, over the break, but, you know, I need a break as well. Every day, every hour is not a break for me, as some would have you believe. Right, Phil? But, yeah, we'll come back to you soon. In the meantime, I do want you to send all of your feedback to dtech.com.au. That's D-T-E-C-H at S-E-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. Tell me the truth about what you think. Who knows? It might even put me off the air and that might be a good thing for some people's ears. But for those that love it, thank you once more for listening to Range Anxiety.